fatherhood still is the most difficult thing that I've done in life. After 12 years, some days I still feel like I don't have a clue. But it's getting easier. Or at least I'm learning to cope with the challenge that that it brings along the way. I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Fatherhood. I've been talking to fathers to see how they handle this thing called fatherhood, because through sharing our stories, we all become stronger. This is a monthly podcast, so please subscribe, and each new episode will find its way to your favourite podcast player. Be encouraged by the stories and advice, and share it with your friends, because as we know from the Hugh Grant film About a Boy, no man is an island. I've never been asked that question. You know, a lot of people see you with the eyes instead of the heart. In this episode, I talked to Brian Welch, also known as Head, one of the guitarists from new metal band Korn. That's Korn with a K. Brian's a hard rocker who spent his 20s touring and partying, and most of the 90s and the years after fighting his own demons. I was like the master at just being a secret, like, nobody knows what I'm doing. Brian and I recorded this episode when he was in Australia to promote his film, Loud Crazy Love. It's a story of becoming a father and growing up. It's the story of his second child, his daughter, Jenea. We, we felt like we were given a second chance because there was so much pain involved in the adoption, you know? Brian soon found himself a single dad taking Jenea on the road until she needed to start school. But leaving her at home had its own challenges. Just start drinking. <laughs> His books and the movie go into detail about his life and his perseverance bringing up his daughter as a single dad. From a distance, the tattoos and long dreadlocks look menacing, but I sat across from Brian to record this episode and I couldn't look away. He is truly captivating. The tattoos around the eyes have gold flecks in them and I don't understand why people can't see past the exterior because you don't have to go too far to see he's a soft-hearted guy. All right, so one more dad joke. Why did Snoop Dogg, why does he carry an umbrella? I don't know. Why does Snoop Dogg carry an umbrella? For drizzle. (laughs) I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Brian Welch. You said in the movie you had to get off drugs before becoming a Christian, and you talked about being high during that church meeting where you came to Christ. Mm -hmm. What's the most misunderstood part of your faith journey? Oh, you hit me with a difficult question right off the bat, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's the most um, misunderstood? How do people misunderstand you and your faith? Um, probably about the, uh, you know, a lot of people see with the eyes instead of the heart. Yeah. And the heart inside of me is just for love and servant to others and uh, and, and deep intimacy. The, the number one prayer that I have that's personal to me is, I want to really, 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 really know you, God. I want to know. I want to know the lies that that uh, many believe because I want to know the truth and I want to know the real you, yeah. not the religious you that man has built. Possibly, I want to know the real you. And so, uh, I think people when they see this outer package of you know the dreadlocks, the tattoos, and and everything, they would uh, some people prejudge that maybe and and see something else. I get it. We all do this sometimes. I admit walking around my local shopping mall and, well, having opinions. It's a good reminder to be a little less judgmental. Particularly as one day, my daughter will have a boyfriend. And I probably should get to know him first. So what gave you the courage to tell this story on film? It was after writing my books. 
and just sharing all of the uh, just the, the the personal things that I have been through, plus me and my daughter, and uh, being a father, and just you know mistakes and successes and everything. When I wrote my books, I saw how many people, like on your show, you'll hear people say, "Why wow, you really helped me?" Well, that happened like so much with my books, and so. You know what the logical next step I thought was possibly a documentary because I had so much home footage, yeah. and I'm like, oh, this stuff is good because it's so old but so uh, interesting, you know. And and so once I got some partners come alongside of me, it was a green light. I'm going to take you back in time a little bit. Tell me about the first time you found out. So the moment you found out you were going to become a father for the first time, what's happening in your mind? Um, well, it depends because in my first book. I wrote about uh, there was uh, a baby that me and my girlfriend put up for adoption. And so the first time I was so young, probably 23, and uh, and I was just like, I was scared because okay. I was a, of a child myself. You know, I felt like a, I'd, I could barely pay bills and I lived in a house with like five other dudes. and uh, And so I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know, I, I was afraid for the baby. I'm like, well, how am I going to, what can I do? Okay. And so what what happened was we ended up finding, um, we, we adopted, put the baby up for open adoption. So that, so when I, a few years later, when I had success in music and, and I uh, was more of a, you know, I just had some things. I was grown up a little bit more, mm-hmm. not too much, but a little bit, um, and then my girlfriend ended up, we, we didn't know we were going to stay together because she was 19 when she got pregnant. Okay. And so uh, when she got pregnant that second time, we were just like, it was so magical. And we were so, we, we felt like we were given a second chance because there was so much pain involved in the adoption, you know? Yeah. Even though it was best for her, yeah. when that baby was born, we were like, oh my gosh, this thing is a miracle. What are we doing? <laughs> you know? The whole story is, in some respects, it's you trying to decide what's best for her. And, and that adoption story, does it echo with Jenea later in life when you're faced with awakening youth? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, just... Does it haunt you? No, because there's, you know, God is really uh, in the healing business. And so there's a lot of things in my past that hurt at the time, but... They don't hurt anymore. Okay. They're just they're just there. And that's what happened. And he's taken the pain away from them. I couldn't imagine the pain of giving up a child, let alone not being in a place where it didn't hurt anymore. That just seems too big a thing for God to heal. But he did it for Brian. And that's what faith is. Tell me about the day Janae was born. What was that like for you? Oh, wow. That was uh, July 6th, 1998. I think around... Uh, in the evening sometime. And uh, it was just so amazing. She was, uh, I just, when I heard her, her cry for the first time, I was in the room and it was, what I know now, the presence of God, I felt that that day. Truly. Yes. I felt the presence of God coming, just a magic, just that pure love and peace that is from another place, you know? Would you have characterized that as that back then? How would, how would you have processed it on the day? On the day, I was Cause, just... Because this was pre-Christ for you, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And so on the day, I was 
just thinking that there was just this great love that came with having kids, and there is, yeah. there is that. But I think God was trying to get my attention to that just about the miracle of life and everything, you know. And so I didn't connect it to the divine, you know. I connected yeah. it to just uh, love. Yeah, love. Yeah, that's very good. You pretty quickly became a single dad. You know, circumstances were what they were. At some point, wouldn't it have been easier at that point to to maybe give Janae up for adoption as well, given your what was going on in your life? Oh, um, that never crossed my mind. Not even. Never, because she was already with us for you know two or three years, and we were just I was the dad, you know. Yeah, okay. I was like I wasn't going to make that decision again. Okay. No way. Right. And so. I mean, that could have happened, though, because we were struggling with drugs. And, yeah. you know, it just, to me, that's not what happens. You just get it together and, and you be a parent. But um, Yeah, that was one of the things that came up in the movie, your, your positive, intentional decision to, yeah. to focus on that. Was there a moment that switched the lights on for you there? Just that, my, I think my family, you know, my parents raised us and they're, they weren't perfect by any means, but they, uh, they were there yeah. and their, their marriage you know, stayed together and there was never any really uh, traumatic things that happened as far as like illegal things going on or it was just some drinking, you know, but they were there. They were always there involved in our school and sports and everything. And just, you know, even though my dad was angry a lot of times and he had drinking issues, they, at least they were present, you know? So that never crossed my mind, like to lose her or give her away. Brian's reflection that in spite of his dad's imperfections, at least he was there hits home. Don't get me wrong, I want to be more than that, but maybe as dads we need to give ourselves a break and accept that we're doing the best we can. And being there is sometimes enough. It's normal for dads to be away rather than moms to be away. Yeah. I think. I don't want to play the stereotype, but you were away for a lot. Other people, I guess, looked after Janae when you were on tour. Yeah. So how how often did you actually get to see her? Probably, uh, I mean, we'd go on tour for like six weeks. So we didn't have any iPhones back then, so no FaceTime. Yeah, and course. so it would just be like, she'd jump on the phone. Hi, Daddy. I'm like, hi, are you doing okay? How's school? I miss you so much. I can't, you know, you can't see. And, she, oh, wow. and so it was really hard. Um, but uh, you just make the best of it. So I would see her after the six weeks for, I'd be home for a little yeah. bit. After that phone call, do you then have to go out on stage and do your job? Yeah, you know, and just numb it with drinking and everything, you know, and so. Because I find those calls are hard enough. Right. Just I'm away for three days now, but just to have to go out and give yourself to a crowd of people waiting for you. And then everybody comes to the concert and they want, they're so excited to meet you, backstage people and everything. And if you're going through something... You can just have bodyguards keep everybody away, but there's always people around. And so it's like if you want to have alone time and, and there's sometimes there's not a lot of alone time to process things like that. So you just start drinking. <laughs> I've never had thousands of people screaming out to me, wanting a piece of me when I have nothing to give. I actually don't know how I would have reacted, but I do know that all too often drinking can numb the pain. You mentioned earlier your dad did a good job. He's a drinking problem. But is there any advice that your dad ever gave you that you still hang on to today? I mean, just that he instilled in us. Uh, he was he was a great uh, provider, and he worked 
hard and he went after his his goals as far as like you know every business that he was involved in he was successful he's successful as a banker he was in the military coast guard he is a vet then he started a chevron um truck stop where all the big trucks and gas stations and there was a diner you know and he was the owner of that and so he just really you know taught us about getting out there and working yeah and put putting in the the work and and everything and so we didn't really communicate much about it was just a lot of it was just about how you doing you know and da 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 yeah but not we didn't get real deep he was just uh you know his dad was kind of hard to you know they come from a different generation i'm actually the opposite i want to sit with my son who's nine so how was your day what did you get up to tell me about that thing that's happening in your life he's like yeah it's good and I, I hope as he <laughs> matures, he'll, right. he'll share a bit more because I, I think maybe... Like, how do you feel about yeah. that, though? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that goodness and what does it feel like? Yeah, yeah that's cool. Keep keep um, bringing it out of him and eventually he'll, he'll open up. So the film touches on your anger and it's a theme that comes up on fatherhood. How do you deal with anger now as opposed to back then? Oh, my gosh. I just let it out back then. And now it's uh it's very minimum now the anger, and uh, I met a guy I forget his name but this guy goes around and speaks in America maybe even around the world but uh, teaches on things like that and he also encourages businesses and um, unity in the workplace and he speaks to um, corporations and everything and uh, he says uh, to replace thoughts for instance I was I told him just today I'm just like I got angry and started swearing and stuff about i drop things all the time i'm a klutz yeah and um and he says well he says why don't you look for something you're thankful instead of like saying the, the cuss word you say god thank you i have fingers you know <laughs> ah, that's beautiful thank you that i because there's people that don't have fingers you know there's no, people don't. that don't and you think about that and and so it displaced the anger and uh i'm not perfect but <laughs> it, it seems to work you know and it diffuses it Brian took intentional steps to get help with his anger. Ford Taylor is the guy he was talking about. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, sometimes it may even take a small country to help. But that's the key, getting help. There was one part in your book where you talked about when Jenea was at Awakening Youth, and I can't remember if it was when she was at or when you saw her again after those first few months, that you noticed your anger, your uncontrollable rage had dropped away. Yeah. Was there any connection with Janaea being awakening youth, perhaps or some something about her being there and your anger dissipating? I just think that yeah, that's interesting. I've thought about that before. Maybe possibly the fact that I could finally have help with her and not try to do it myself because I was incapable of doing everything myself. Yeah. And there was someone else who who was had an had a gift for counseling and for helping people and families communicate yeah. their emotions and everything. And so I think that the pressure was just off of me. And, I f- and finally, I wasn't alone. Wasn't alone. Yeah. I guess you're in a great position now where you can look back and you can see redemption, you can see restoration. But one dad said to me, he can also look back and see some scars. So what kind of damage does that anger have on kids? Because mm. I worry about that. For me and my kids. Yeah. What does it affect? How does it affect them? You struggled with anger too. Yeah. yeah. The most most dads, huh? Yeah. Every yeah. single one without fail. 
you know what? I just communication with with the children are is so important. Yeah. I used to tell my daughter, "I'm so sorry for the outburst like that," and and uh, will you forgive me? And when she was a teenager, she got to a point where she was so in rebellion and angry. She was like, the, "You saying sorry doesn't mean anything, yeah, because you're gonna do it like in in a few days again, and so you don't mean it because you're in dude." I go and I. What do you say to that? You're just like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, because well, yeah, she's right that I'm going to do it again. But the point is, I don't want to, and I have no control over that. You know what happens? They grow older, and they see themselves do it because we all do it. Yeah, and then they have, and then hopefully they look back and say, "Wow, you tried." And my daughter's at that point now where she's like, "You did the best you could." with your circumstances and you're a great father. And so that's very healing to me to hear her say that, you know. Partway through the book and certainly partway through the film, you're thinking to yourself, I hope this works out for the poor guy. Yeah. And, right. and <laughs> oh, like, I love that. You're just you cheering your own man. Yeah. Cause I, uh, you saw in the film, right. And that my heart is there. Yeah. It's just the damage and it's just, this uh, the, the ego or the, the the false me or the angry me yeah. just you know won't go away but no. the heart is there if you haven't caught the movie yet social media was Janaya's way of staying in touch with her friends after Brian had moved them from Arizona to Nashville Janaya immersed herself in social media and Brian wasn't happy with what she was posting now I'm going to pivot if it's okay to social media mm-hmm. because in my house that is the one thing that dominates my 12-year-old daughter, Yeah, I read and I saw your battle with it and her friends in Arizona. And what really, I think the battle with social media is real for all parents, but was there anything that you noticed with it and, and Janae's use of it that really triggered a response in you as a dad, not, not as an angry response, but like there's something really wrong here about this because it's a bit beyond just talking with friends. Yeah. What, do, what, do, what are some of the things you watch out for on social media? <sighs> Well, the crazy thing is my daughter's almost 21 now, so she just, she's learned a lot and uh, we hope that uh, everything's, you know, healthy now yeah. and uh, I, I trust her. But, uh, but you know, I think the things you look out for is um, the time spent. Okay. There has to be something that parents put a restriction as far as like when you get home from school or whatever there has to be in a certain amount of time where they cannot go over that because, you know, if you're in agreement and everyone's in agreement that those are the rules, then it won't really rule their life. But, and, and the, well, my other friends, they get to be, you know, but mm-hmm. it's, it's destroying too many kids. You can't take that chance. And, but I got to the point with my daughter where I was like, okay, you can only be on this amount of time. And, and she would just like throw the biggest fit. And I was a single dad. So I'm like, I, I would give up and let her win. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, but there's got to be an agreement on the amount of time. Ah, social media, the other universal frustration for all fathers. After we finished recording and we were packing up, Brian asked me about my daughter and how she's going with social media. Admittedly, it's a tough challenge and a tightrope walk to balance, but he looked me straight in the eye and said, just monitor how much time she spends on it. If social media was as big as it was, 
the late 90s, the early 2000s, when corn was really firing, would you have behaved differently? Social media was... Uh, yeah, like, you know, backstage groupies have now got cameras and would that have affected your behavior or wouldn't you have changed? Oh, it would have been way worse. Worse? Yeah. Why? Because I was a king, the king of secrets and you could be so secretive and with social media okay. and everything and I would have... I was like the master at just being a secret, like nobody knows what I'm doing in secret. And so with groupies and everything, yeah, I would have been uh, a serial, like uh, just probably a sex addict even more. True. With yeah, with with what went on, with what went on. Yep. Because I I never been asked that question, and I know that in my. In my crazy state with drugs and everything, I would have used social media to that uh, to that lust advantage, you know. Okay, well, that, that's certainly honest. I love Brian's willingness to be transparent. Despite his failings, he's not consumed with guilt or fear of failure, but love. I struggled to figure Brian's story out through watching the movie Loud Crazy Love and reading his book with my eyes wide open. But it's clearer now having spoken with him. His is a story of hope and redemption, two things that we as dads need to continuously cling on to. Do you have any dad jokes that you want to share? Are there any good ones? Why can't a bike stand on its own? Why can't a bike stand on its own? Because it's too tired. Oh, Brian, get it too tired? (laughs) Brian, oh my gosh. Can I do one more? Yeah, go for it. Why didn't the lifeguard saved the hippie while he was drowning. Why didn't the lifeguard save the hippie while he was drowning? Because he was too far out, man. <laughs> oh, that's actually borderline funny, that one. <laughs> Thank you to the show's producer and editor, Loretta Farrell. To Nathan Brown at Christian Media and Arts Australia for arranging the interview. And Angela King from Movies Change People for taking the photos and brilliant video of Brian teaching me how to mosh and play guitar at the same time. Remember to subscribe and share this with your friends, and I'll see you next episode. I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Fatherhood. Fatherhood.